having jobs like this, even if it's just to put you through to college, it makes you a different person than so many are. It creates character that not many people have. Oh, I agree. I agree. And the camaraderie. You know, when you've got people, the naysayers and the the difficult people behind, the ones that want, the ones that were there that that you worked well with and then you had that and you felt like part of a team. You don't get that anywhere else. And you get to know people, good or bad. You're listening to Her Brotherhood. I'm your host, Abby Bolt, and this is where we celebrate women who put their lives on the line. Now to support this show, which I would really appreciate it if you did, you can check out the show notes or visit me at herbrotherhood.com. Author Linda Strader shares with us how she came to writing a memoir about her time in Wildland Fire from Arizona to Alaska. Little did she know that she was one of very few women in 1973 and a huge weight was placed on her shoulders by a federal agency. Linda shares beautiful memories and then she lets us know what she learned when it comes to writing your life story and how she managed to capture the attention of an agent and a publisher. I hope you enjoy the interview. Today, I am here with author and former firefighter, Linda Strader, who's in Arizona. Hello, Linda. Hello, Abby. Nice to meet you. Yeah, so nice to meet you, too. How exciting that we can do an interview from afar and especially exciting right now because of coronavirus. So we are doing our social distancing and utilizing our digital skills. (laughs) Yep, it's, it's it's a great world for that. Yep. So tell me, you know, I reached out to you, we've seen each other online, and I was really intrigued by your past. One, because you have a past as a wildland firefighter, but you went and you wrote about it. That is so amazing. Tell me what led you into being an author. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I I never... Uh, The only thing I've ever written in my life up up until I started writing my book was um, a thesis for my master's degree. I mean, I've never had any... Uh, creative writing or anything and um, so what happened was is that um, I was going through a really rough time so I I ended my 23 year marriage um, having a secure job thinking I will be fine I can do this I can get out of my own I'll be fine and then I promptly lost my job oh wow and and then three months later my mom died and so I was feeling pretty lost and I started looking to the past because I just I needed an escape. I needed an escape because I just didn't know what was going to happen to me for the future. So I started just, I thought, well, you know, I, I really enjoyed my firefighting days. And my prior career was, that was everything to me. And I thought, you know, maybe I should just write down some of the things that happened in case I forget. I mean, I did keep very detailed journals, so I had that. But I thought maybe I would try to write it down, you know, like in an essay format or or something, you know, something more creative. And once I got started, I really had a, I really, I really got involved with it. And I wrote about 90 pages and I shared it with a few friends and they said, wow, you know, this is really, this is pretty interesting. This is good. Maybe you should add, you know, a little bit more in between your firefighting and, and when, you know, and what you did during the winter months and maybe a little more detail. Fill in and some said, gaps. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, I can do that. So 400 pages later, wow. I realized, oh, 
I think I have a book. Wow. It just all of a sudden started flowing out, huh? Well, yeah, it was one of those things that got started. And then, so, so I wrote a book before I knew how to write one. And I knew that, you know, and I didn't know if it was any good. So I started thinking, well, now I need to get, if, I, if I'm really going to do this, I need to get serious about this. So I actually connected with some fellow authors in my community and I joined a writer's group. And I also met someone online. Um, I was doing some writing about my um, landscaping, my knowledge about plants, just to earn a little bit of money. So I met somebody who, she, she saw, um, we, we connected on, on this um this website that that, that uh, it was an online magazine. So we connected on this online magazine, and she and she started telling me, "Well, I, I really love plants, so it's really interesting what you write about. I really like your articles." And it turns out she lives in Tucson, so we get to talking. And she and I told her about what I was writing, and she says, "That sounds really interesting." She says, "I'm a retired English teacher specializing in creative writing. I'd love to see it." I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> and I sent it to her. She said, "You know." With a little work, this, I think this is really good. Fast forward five years later of brutal hard work, <laughs> um, I started um, looking for an agent, and eventually wow. I found a publisher. And yeah, and here you history. are. That is <laughs> so is. great, man! Collaborating over plants, and next thing you know, you're writing a book of your life. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just yeah. So it was totally unexpected. You know that this is where this was going to go, and then. And the more I worked on it, the more I realized what happened to me was unusual, that I turned out I realized that I was very, very early uh, in the Forest Service as a woman on a fire crew. That surprised me. Um, I didn't know that, although the Federal Women's Program appeared in 76 when I first started, and I was kind of wondering, so what's that all about? You know. So they were telling us about, yeah, we're trying to get women to feel more comfortable in jobs, you know, working with men. Um, they were, they were recognizing there were issues. So like we got assertiveness training, and I was like, "What in the world?" Is and this is so. This is in the late seventies. Then, when this you were saying seventy six is when you started, and so you started seeing this kind of kind of training. And to you, you were a little baffled by it. Yeah, I mean, I just had no idea. I mean, I, when I walked into the job, I, I, and how I got the job was really unusual. I mean, it wasn't like I dreamt about being a firefighter all my life. I kind of fell into that job and really loved my work and so I, and, and I never for a moment wondered if, if I was going to be accepted I just figured well I'll just do my best and what more can you do you know and certainly you know that won't be a problem and I had a wake-up call oh really not that easy yeah and now where were you located when you first started where was that it was um, in the Santa Rita Mountains south of Tucson okay. um, the Nogales Ranger District Coronado National Forest wow and it was crew of 10 and I was the only woman yeah and I didn't think anything of it until and I didn't think anything of it you know they teased me and I got the you know women belong barefoot pregnant and in the kitchen right stuff you know and I just laughed them off and thought oh, yeah well I know I can do this because I am doing it right jumped, we had a my first fire was two weeks right so it was right after training we had two weeks of training and we got a fire so I found out very quickly what it was all about. And I thought, ooh, this is fun. Let's do this again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's crazy is, especially in jobs like this, the reason why so much of this stuff goes unsaid is we love the job so much. Like I've always yeah. talked about, like my first year, there were some guys on there. Their goal was to see if they can make me cry every day. And I wasn't going to let it happen. I just, that was mm-hmm. like, I'm like, nope, I am not going to fall for that. I love this too much. And so I was able to see past that because I loved the work. And 
yeah. that wasn't just, that yeah. wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And, and when, and that's the thing is when you love what you do, I mean, it, it took me a little while because the, the harder they made it for me, the more I was determined to stay. Right. Cause and I know the more you love the job, the more things you let go by because you want to focus on the yeah. good. Well, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, well, you know, but I want this job, so I'm just going to have to put up with this. Now, so your first year, you went in and um, you got started, and so it was already kind of being challenging. And, like, how did it go? Did you decided, no, I'm coming back? Like, tell me a little bit about your first few years' progression. My first summer was, was 76, and it, was, it wasn't until – and I thought, other than the few guys that gave me a hard time, you know, last, you know, and, and I would just ignore them. They, I just called them chauvinist pigs and walked on. <laughs> And, and a lot of the guys seemed to accept me. So I thought that I was doing fine. I mean, it, it, it took a while to get my supervisor's confidence, but, um, you know, he would often tell me, you know, you're a good hand, you know, but, you know, you're doing fine. So that gave me the confidence. Of, well, yeah, well, my supervisor thinks I'm doing fine. So the heck with those other guys. I mean, I don't care. And I went through the whole summer very naively thinking that I was part of the crew. Yeah, and it wasn't until the end of the summer. It was, I think, it was late September that they they sent us off to a federal women's program meeting, and it was a three day uh, workshop. And at the end of the workshop, the woman that was um, in charge said, "I'm going to send you all back to work, and I want you to interview the guys you work with and ask them what they think of women on fire crews." What? And yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm uh, thinking, oh, this will be easy. Yeah. I mean, other than the few guys that gave me a hard time, I thought, oh, but everybody else yeah. accepts me and likes me and, 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 you know, this will be fine. And out of the 37 women in that meeting, only three were firefighters. Wow. And, and I remember thinking, wow, you know, including me. And I was like, gee, you know, so few. But so, so I went back to the station thinking, oh, I've got this. You know, this, this is going to be really, this is going to be kind of fun. So I interviewed the guys one-on-one, and by the time I was done, I was just stunned and, and thought, now what am I going to do? So they were pretty open, it sounds like. They were very open and said, you don't belong here. Wow. And some well, of them, and honestly, um, that's would, a taste of honesty that it's like we're not allowed to have anymore. And I wish we could because, you know, people are, are afraid to share their honest opinion because they know they're going to end up in a complaint about it. Because I know there's a lot of people that would share some things we don't want to hear right now if, if that fear wasn't there. So it's interesting to hear that unfiltered feedback you were getting. Oh, and it completely caught me off guard. I felt like a complete, I felt like such an idiot for not catching this. I thought, how did you miss this? And to be honest, was, you know, some of them, was, well, there was a couple of the guys that said, well, we're worried that you're going to get hurt. We don't want you to get hurt. And I was thinking, well, we all know the risks. Yeah. You know, and I'm willing to take the risk. That was a cop out I don't answer, want though. you to worry about me. I can take care of myself. You know, don't worry about me. So, so it wasn't all, you know, you don't belong here because you're a woman. Some of it was because they were just worried that I was going to get hurt. But what a rude awakening. So we had to go back to another meeting to report what we found out. And I remember telling the, the woman in, uh, that was running the meeting how stunned I was to get the results that I got. And I still have those results. See, I know exactly what everybody said because I still oh, have the awesome. results in the box. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Those would be fun to publish. Yeah amazing. And so after I shared that with her, she said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I love my job. I know they want me to quit, but not, I'm not going to quit. So I went back the next summer and that was the summer 77, which was one of the worst fire seasons in recent history. And some of the guys didn't, didn't come back after that. It was too hard on them. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they well, washed you know. up because they couldn't handle it. And so I'm looking at your book cover here and the picture of you on the lower 
left with Smokey. Just vision, because yeah. I, I love to have a vision of like what it was you looked like back then. You know, what was your, what were people's impression of you? You're, well, I can't say that you're tall because you're standing next to Smokey and he's way tall, <laughs> but just getting a vision of you, you're a beautiful young woman. You look fit. You look, I mean, you were just a really great woman. You can see, and it looked like that you fit into me. Nowadays, it looks like, man, she fits in right there. But when my focus comes back out to that 30,000 foot level and remembers what year it was and how rare it was to be a woman in there, I can't imagine what it actually felt like once you started getting these sorts of, of feedback from people. Yeah, you know, and it was when I read my journal entries, and, and I have one that actually ended up in the book. After that, you know, every, everybody told me their honest opinion, and I thought, there's danger. I mean, th- there could be something could go wrong in any line of work. There's some kind of risk in anything that you do. And I said, and I want to do this, you know, because I actually wondered, should I quit? And I thought, no, 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 I don't yeah, want to quit. Yeah, did the thoughts of quitting, was it ever because of the job, or was it because of the culture? It was because of the culture, because they made me feel, well, I felt so unwanted. I mean, you know, here, I mean, yeah, I mean, being the only one, yeah, they flirted with me too. And it was, and I felt accepted. I, they fooled me. They, they made me think that they wanted me there. And then when I asked them the question outright, they're like, well, no, actually we don't. And I was like, what? Yeah, that's, that's really great. I felt great. so betrayed. Well, after, after that experience, I, I changed. When I went back the next summer, I was looking at everybody like, oh, yeah. yeah, you say one thing, but what yeah. do you really mean? Yeah, because it's so no, it's great that you skeptical. had that transparency, so painful and, and life-changing. And, you know, a lot of people get that kind of feedback, just never that direct. You know, they get it from little nuances where you have that feeling, you're like, I know he doesn't want me here. And mm-hmm. they don't say it up front. Yeah. And you had that, and they're telling you that. So I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. So what was the, so you're saying they, you know, then they're like, okay, well, what's your feedback? What was the whole purpose of this women's group thing, like, besides making it way worse on you? which that's what that kind of action does, you know, what was their, what were they going to do about it? Well, see, so this is something that I was asking this question of myself currently, because I was thinking, I wonder why that came up. I mean, I still have my notes from that federal women's program and there was all kinds of, you know, exercises, you know, like I said, a certain training and there was, we did some role playing for catastrophes, you know, like, you know, there's a major fire and, you get lost or you get separated from your group or you have to make, you know, so we did a lot of role playing of, you know, of challenging situations too. Uh-huh. And even though there was only three firefighters out of the 37, everybody wait, else wait, wait. was in the You office. were doing this role playing for you women, not for well, everybody else. It was just for you guys? No, just, yeah, just for, just in the women's group. Wow. I, so when I was working on my book, I thought, hmm, I'm really curious because I remembered the name of the facilitator and it was Jan Quill. And so I Googled Jan Quill, Federal Women's Program, 1976. Boom, popped up. And I thought, interesting. She was a college student and she was writing a paper. And so I think that's where that interview came in. She was doing some kind of statistical. She was doing research for a paper. Yeah. Yeah. You guys were guinea pigs. And so I found it so easily that I thought, wow, well, that's pretty cool. Um, I'll have to see if I can find her. Well, I didn't bookmark it. And, you know, I've never been able to find it again. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, I was so disappointed. I've tried several times 
rewording it anything like possible way. I even contacted the federal women's program, which is kind of still there, and I couldn't get anybody wow. to respond. They wiped it. They're yeah. like, this is filled with lawsuits. Let's get rid of that. <laughs> well, <laughs> we don't, you know, we don't like, want people to see that history. Oh, yeah. So, so, so I think that that's what that was about. Um, I think the other part was just part of it was the Forest Service was worried about women now entering men's roles, and there was there were problems. So that program came about because of that to help women fit in and, and teach them what to do when they're confronted. We learned all about the Equal Employment Opportunity Act and how to file a complaint if we were discriminated against and what discrimination looked like and what it meant, what our uh, opportunities were, you know, what we could do about it. So we learned all of that. And which I actually had to I, use it. Which because, some of that I appreciate and I like that they were doing. And then, you know, some of it is like you were saying, I thought I belonged here. I thought I was great here. And then they point out all this stuff and you're like, oh, wait, maybe... Maybe I don't, and maybe I do need to be offended about this or that. But they taught you, mm-hmm. you know, that stuff. And so I, I think that is good, what they were doing. It, it just, any time that we take women and we focus on them so hard in ways like that, that it's such a dance. Like, if we're not careful, we're immediately shooting every woman in the foot because you're bringing that attention to it. And then all the guys yep. are like, oh, here's another woman thing. You know, so it's so yeah. hard. It's oh, a yeah. very delicate balance. Oh, yeah. And that's, it's, yeah, I think it was, uh, was it that? Same summer, I think it was, they actually sent someone down from the district office to, we were going to have a sensitivity training meeting, and I was thinking, oh, give me a break. Right. <laughs> so, like, like, oh, you can tell guys, you, you need to be more sensitive, and, <laughs> and they'll say, oh, okay. <laughs> why can't we just have how not to be an ass meeting? Like, why, yeah, why don't we just call like, it that? Yeah, it, I remember, I wrote it down, I said, it, it ended up being a bitch session about all the reasons why women can't belong here. Right. You know. And then I, my final comment was, what a bunch of whiny assholes. <laughs> <laughs> See? Exactly. That's They needed the anti-asshole meeting. That's, yep. yeah. And they go the, they go exactly like that now. All those meetings are the same. They turn into huge bitch sessions. Just everybody has a better way to form their opinion so they don't get in trouble. It was pretty interesting. And, and I continued to work at that station for three summers. And it didn't really want to leave, but it wasn't going well. Did you, oh, so did you feel like it would, would be better somewhere else? Like just there was a problem? Uh, well, I, yeah, so I was at Florida Ranger Station, and we got laid off early in 78. It was a very wet summer, and they, they laid us off in July, which you know, for I mean, you were in Region like, 3, but that's crazy. Yeah, but, and they were like, yikes, you know, so... They had transfers available, and one of the transfers was up to the Santa Catalina District on the Catalina Hotshot crew. I applied for that. I was told, and there was trail crew positions open. So I applied for the hotshots, and I was told, they don't hire women. You can't do that. Mm. And I thought, really? I thought they couldn't do that. Yeah, it says, oh, I went through the training, damn it. Yeah, so, so I took the trail position not really sure what I should do about it. So I took the trail position, and when I got up there, I was talking to another woman that I was going to be working with on the trail crew, and she was on Helitech that summer, and Helitech's always very short, so she was already done with Helitech. And she, and I told her what happened, and she said, really? She says, you ought to go up and talk to the uh, the AFMO, and because uh, I, I can't believe that that's true. I mean, they really said that, huh? And I said, 
wow, you know, maybe maybe they misunderstood. You know, maybe I got it all wrong. Right. You immediately so blamed yourself. So I went up to the office and sat down with the ASMO, and he looked at me, and, and I said, you know, I, I, I'm confused. I have the most fire experience than all the seasonals at Florida, and yet you hired someone that only had one season over me, and I have three on the Hot Shark Crew. So I'm just kind of wondering what, what's going on. I mean, I, and I was actually really surprised that I even could get that out. <laughs> yeah. Because the guy's just staring at me. Right. And he said, well, that's because we don't hire women on the Hot Shot Crew. Oh, really? And, and I said, well, uh, wait a minute. You can't do that. And he, said, he looked at me and he said, so what are you going to do about it? Wow. <laughs> so wow. I'm sitting there thinking, well, uh, uh, and he says, look, do you want the trail position or not? And I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And then I was driving back to my quarters. I was thinking, that's discrimination. Yeah, you're like, I, mean, I went through and, the training. I know now. That's not okay. It, yeah, I mean, you can't do that. So I, I let it go for the summer. And at the end of the summer, I thought about it and I said, I'm going to file an EEO complaint. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So I did that. And, of course, they told me, oh, this is free from repercussions. And it's totally, you're so protected. you know, um, protected, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, okay, fine, you know. And, and it was about two months later that I got a letter from them saying that he denied ever saying such a thing to me. He I said, she he said. Would. It was just yeah. the two of us in the room, you know. So I let it go. And it was a year later um, when I was, I actually stopped working for the Coronado after that. I got sick of it and I went and I was working on the Coconino and my supervisor up there told me that I'd been blacklisted. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. And I, Man, and you, I kept running, you kept running into some serious honesty though. You, I mean, to be, yeah. you know, it's kind of great in a way because you were actually hearing what people were thinking. Nowadays, you don't get to hear it. You just know that it's happening. Yep. And when, when they told me, I mean, then I was at that point, I was done with the Forest Service, even though I wanted that job more than anything in the world. I thought, I've had enough. I've had enough. So I applied for a job with BLM in Alaska, and I got it and thought maybe BLM will be better. But, yeah, I, I had just gotten off the plane, and I walked into the office my first day of work, and my supervisor looked at me and says, you need to cut your hair. And well, I looked at him and said, If you could see Why? me right now, I'm about to explode. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and, and, I, and I looked at him and I said, I always, because my hair was very long then, I said, I always braid it and pin it up on my head when I'm at work. And he says, well, it doesn't matter. It's a fire hazard. And so I'm looking at this guy with big, bushy beard and shoulder-length hair. Oh, my gosh. And he's telling me I have to cut my hair. I said, I'm not cutting my hair. Did he even have a grooming and, standard that he presented you or he just felt this way? No, he just told me that he just said it. I said, I'm not. And I was thinking, well, I guess I'm going back to Arizona. <laughs> right. Yay. Another list I'm blacked on. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't say anything more. He just he let it. He let it drop. You. But he probably really thought yeah. you might go do it. Well, he probably did. And not question it. He probably figured I'd feel intimidated and I would just go do it because I wanted to. Or he you thought know, it might make you quit way. because you didn't want to cut your hair. Yeah. See, this is the kind of and stuff that I paid you can't my own make way up. up. There. You know, people are like, whoa, that really happened? Or people did that? I can't imagine. Yes, it did happen. This stuff does happen. Yeah. It's, you know, it's unless you've actually witnessed it, observed it, or felt it yourself, you don't realize it. And so I don't blame a lot of people because they are naive because they haven't seen it first person. But yeah, this stuff happens well, yeah. all over the place. And a lot of times at my book talks, I've, I have young women in my, in my audience, you know, maybe 20s. I've even had book signings, you know, 14 year olds come up to me and ask me what it was like. And, and when I tell them, they, they, and say, really? They wouldn't let you work there? <laughs> right. They can't imagine. 
Yeah, you I just get, can't. We get that both. We get girl some gals nowadays we do have them to where they're understanding that they can do anything. And then we have the young ladies who are like, Oh, I didn't know girls could do that. We still have that happening. Well, there's that too. And I've had I've had women say to me, Well, how could you possibly handle that kind of work? And I said, Because it's not all about strength, physical strength. Right. And and it's interesting how I've I've had women actually against me doing the work because they look at me and say, well, I don't want you working around my husband. Oh, yeah. That's a whole other book. Yeah. 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 I got that, too. Yeah. Yeah. The woman hated, married woman hated me working around their husbands. Yeah. Wow. I so besides all of this frustrating reality and agency bashing and hating like all this, you know, I don't mean Mm -hmm. to make it like into that, but I'd like to talk the realities. And I like to think that these federal agencies have improved. And it's so sweet that you thought if you went from the Forest Service to the BLM that you thought it would be better. (laughs) I mean, it's still federal agencies, the same fire culture. It's really, you know, one agency may jump ahead and behind of each other and and some things that they're doing, but that's all going to usually be be about the same. So let's put all of that stuff aside and talk about more of the stories that you share and your adventures and, and you know, what really (laughs) makes this enticing because that's, what's funny is we start telling these stories and to us, it's just, it's our life. Like we don't even think that it's fun or cool or whatever. You know, my mom will start, Oh, Abby, tell me, tell them about that one time that this happened. I'm like, what? Oh yeah, that was such a great story that, and I'm like, Oh, it was, you know, I just don't even really see it that way. Or my own mother will remember things I shared with Ah. her. And I don't even remember him. I'm like, oh, I told you about that? You know, and she's like, oh, yeah, it was so <laughs> exciting. And I'm like, oh, it's just a normal day at work. So, you know, what are yeah. some of the things you share in your book? I would say, well, my, my first fire was really interesting because no one was prepared. We just finished training and it was only the, it was the end of May. And we didn't think it was fire season yet. <laughs> yes. And uh, so when we got the call, I was the only one at the station. Everybody else lived in Tucson or and had gone home for the weekend or whatever. So I was the only one that was actually available and my supervisor was there. And so he had to call someone that lived nearby and, and he came over and then we got someone from Tucson. So I spent most of the, the first hour, an hour and a half after we got the fire call, I was sitting in the office thinking, isn't this supposed to be an emergency? Are we supposed to be gone by now? <laughs> I couldn't believe that, you know, nobody was, you know, I thought, it's a fire. Are, are we right, going? right. <laughs> yeah. Why are you dragging your feet? You know? Yeah, you know, let's go, let's go. So when we finally got going, that's when I got that wake up call of, you know, this is not, this is the real thing. I saw the smoke and I thought, oh, wow, that's not, that's not a drill. <laughs> that's not a smoke bomb because we had a couple of those. And I uh-huh. thought, that, this is the real thing. So there was just the three of us at first and we rode up in a four wheel drive, getting as close as we could. And then we had to hike. So we got our fire packs on, got our tools and everything. And, and then we split up. When we got to the fire, we split up. So Scott went one way and Joe and I went the other way and he told us, you know, let's start building line and we'll try to, you know, meet at the bottom. So we're working away and we've got our fire packs on and they were bulky and uncomfortable and every time I'd lean over, you know, it would swing around and, you know, come oh, yeah, off my shoulder best. and pain. So Joe said, what, we just built line, let's leave our packs here so we can work easier. And so we set our packs down and we're busy working away and working away and all of a sudden... I'm look I look up and he's looking behind us and I'm trying to figure out what what is he looking at? I'm looking, oh, I'm no. looking to see what he's looking at and he finally says, Uh oh, there go our packs. Oh my god. I saw that and coming thinking, as soon as you said you sat him down. Yeah. So I so my first thought though it was so funny, my first thought was, What, is there animals dragging them away or something? <laughs> and then I realized 
oh, you mean they're on fire? <laughs> like, oh, my God. Oh, hell. And unfortunately, our canteens are in them. Right. So all of our water burned up. In your fire shelter. No fire shelter. So this is pre-fire shelter. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Nowadays, we, get, nowadays we fire people for leaving their shelters behind. <laughs> yeah. No, so no fire shelter. So we lost. Yeah. We, you know, but the big thing was our canteens melted. So yeah. um, we were like, okay, this is great. So we worked for hours and hours and hours without water. I've never been so thirsty in my entire life, and that was a hard lesson learned, I'll tell you. I never, see, I can't tell that story without needing a drink of water, so I need a drink of water. <laughs> can't do it. Um, and I never, ever, ever put my water in my fire pack again. It was always tied to me. Oh, yeah, I bet. Never sat it down again, I'm sure. Yeah. So that yeah it's was, amazing how much weight firefighters will carry around just in water, you know, because that's oh, your yeah, lifeline. I used to carry six quarts. Yeah. That's your lifeline. Yep, 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 yep. So that was, yeah, that was introduction, but it still, it still didn't stop me from wanting to do it again. I mean, that was sure. store muscles, blistered hands, um, all of those things. But Such I a felt feeling of so accomplishment. proud of myself. Yeah, at the end of the day, when you're dirty and sore and tired, there's just a feeling of accomplishment that comes with that that is hard to explain. Yep. And especially when you're doing it for this reason. It's one thing to be like working yeah. in a farm field and having that kind of tired where you're just doing the same thing day in, day out, day in, day out. But when you're... When you're doing something like this where you really don't know what the day is going to bring or what the next hour is going yeah. to bring, it just feels good. Yeah, and it was always a good kind of sore. It was like, I actually did this. I put a fire out. It's like, wow. I mean, yeah, I did this. I can do this. And I would I would impress myself on a regular basis. I can do this. That's, some, and a lot that's of people a can't. accomplishment a lot of, when you can feel that in yourself. You're impressed with yourself. Yeah. And so when the guys would, you know, would harass me about, well, you can't do this. And I'm like, but I'm doing it. And when they would say this, I would immediately say, but I am doing it. <laughs> we're living it, <laughs> nitwit. And we're going to do it again tomorrow. Yeah. And, and it's not like anybody carried my gear for me or dug my fire line for me or nobody. I wouldn't let anybody help me do anything. I could do it myself. Yeah. I was a real hard ass about that for a very long time. Like I didn't ever, if somebody would offer, Hey, you want me to grab that for you? Or you want help with that? I was always like, Nope, Nope, Nope. Cause I never wanted it to be like, Oh yeah, I need your help. Come up. Cause I'm a girl. And then, Oh, cause that's, you know, that would have gotten around. Right. Yeah, right. Like so I was always, I would never that. accept it. I wouldn't let him open my door. I wouldn't let him, you know, if I had to reach nope. something and go get something to stand on top of to get it, I would. And then finally, yep. the older I got and the further down, you know, some of you be like, I'd be like, hey, can you grab that? <laughs> you know, not because I knew I could do it. So that wasn't yeah. the problem anymore. I wasn't having to prove myself anymore. I just mm -hmm. needed to employ and, you know, delegate some things out. But until you get to that point, it and it does hold you back from delegation, too, as a leader, because you feel like right. delegating is weakness at a t at a one point. So it's hard and it's yeah. hard to get there. People don't realize that you're you are trying to prove yourself, prove to everyone that you belong there. And it can be exhausting. And I had to do that every every single job I ever had. I had to prove myself. It got old. If some people came back, and sometimes seasonals would come back, and, and they already knew I could do it. But then we'd get some new people, and they'd be looking at me like, ew, you know, what are you doing here? Yeah, who and brought I, the girl? I, uh, you know, and it's like, fine, whatever. I knew that they would change their mind. Yeah, you mentioned, too, like, the wives didn't like you, the girlfriends, all this stuff. And what always cracked me up about that, which I had to do some serious call outs at one point where, you know, women be chattering and there'd be the mean girls. And finally, I, I was at an end of the season party and I tell this story all the time because I remember it like it was yesterday and we were all hanging out at this barbecue and one of them was brazen enough to come up and say something about it, you know, and make, you know, she's like, oh, you just like being on the crew because all these guys and blah, blah, blah. And she was just running her mouth. She'd been drinking too much. So I said, you know what? And I just 
yelled at all the guys because I was one of the entire crew. There was like 20 or 22 of us. I said, everybody out on the front lawn right now. And they're all looking at me like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I called everybody out there, get them in a circle. And I'm standing in the middle of the circle and I get all these women around. I was so ticked off and I just looked around at all because I had had a really rough year. There had be, been some guys there that were terrible to me terrible. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that I would ever even dream up would be hooking up with one of them. And I just looked at them and I go, all right, that's it. Raise your hands if you have effed me this season. And they're all looking at each other. I'm like, who here have I hooked up with? And they just, the, the <laughs> gals that were giving me a hard time could not believe it. Their jaws were dropped. They're like, oh my God, she just called us out. But I'm like, you guys, I go, you guys have all been so mean to me this year. I'm like, do you really think that I've been hooking up with one of your boyfriends? You have no idea. And <laughs> they never gave me a hard time after that. It They shut yeah. up. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, wow, if, if you realize some of the experiences we're in or how bad your man smells after a week out in the dirt, trust me, lady. And <laughs> oh, you, yeah, like it's, like it's really romantic out right. there. Like you're <laughs> I know it happens. I know it happens. I mean, gosh, everybody that I've ever had a relationship has always been in fire. But that's not our intent. That's not why we're there. If you, if, if if that happens with your man and there's some other issue, then you guys need to work on something. But I hate that assumption. Yes. Oh, you need to hear that. And it just, just roll my eyes and think, yeah, whatever. You know, if you, if you really think that I want, I don't want your husband, excuse me, I don't want your husband. Right, right. No, we had a, like, and I don't mean to, like, tell my stories, but wait, I know you can live by okay. these. Like, I was on a, I was on a crew when we were in a fire and we were all sleeping in this park and we just, it was a tight space and we were just like sardines, like our sleeping bags. We were just lined out, all of us, like mm-hmm. side to side to side. And we were so tired and we crashed. And I was one of the only people with a cell phone. They had just kind of started coming out and I lived in a really remote area, so I didn't have a landline, so I'd gotten a cell phone. And the guys would give that to their family. They'd be like, here, you can call Abby. She'll be able to get a hold of me. And so it's like three o'clock in the morning and my phone, they're next to my head and it rings. And I was like, who in the heck is calling me? So I answer, I'm like, hello? And it's this gal and she, it's this guy's girlfriend. She is just drunk and pissed off and she's like, I want to talk to Bob. Where is Bob? You know, and so she's calling me and I guess she already was nervous about me. So I'm like, oh, hang on a second. And he was like one or two dudes down for me. So basically I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and hand him the phone as if he's sleeping in bed with me. And I just, I didn't care anymore. I'm like, here you go. Hey, Bob, your girlfriend's on the phone, you know? And (laughs) I guess it started quite the shit storm, but I was like, here, I don't even care. (laughs) Oh, good grief. Yeah. I know it. So what was, what were that, your first fire was super memorable. Like what else uh, in your book that you have in there that you share with people? Mentioned earlier, the summer of 77 was the worst fire season in recent history. And we went to so many fires that, you know, I was, it's all kind of a blur. Um, I would just get back from one and just get out of the shower and they say, well, guess what? We have another one. And they're like, okay, sure, let's go. But it, near the end of the summer, it was late August, we got a call to California. So that was the first time that we were going to go out of state. So I was pretty excited about that. It was up in the Klamath National Forest. And Ooh, you got <laughs> right in the thick of it. Uh, you know, and it was easily, you know, like, I think it reached 50,000 acres, which of course back then was huge, whereas now that's nothing. Um, but back then that was pretty big. So we were sent out. They did a major backfire to cut it. They just could not contain it. It was windy. They were actually backing off by several miles and burning out in front of it. So the first time we had night duty after they set the backfire, we were securing the line so they spread us all out. 
in groups of two to watch the line and make sure that it, the fire didn't jump over it. And then the squad boss was walking up and down the line and checking on us throughout the night. So at one point, it got kind of quiet, and um, the squad boss came along, and he said, well, you know, they're going to move us to another sector, so... I'm going to gather up everybody else, and I'll pick up you two on the way back. And I remember thinking, well, why don't we just come with you now? I don't understand why. He says, no, 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 I'll, I'll come back and get you. Okay. You know, so we settled in, and we waited, and we waited. How long has it been? We look at our watches, and it's been two hours, and we didn't come back. So we thought, well, this isn't right. Maybe they, did they forget us? <laughs> no, 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 they forget. They must have found a spot fire, so we better, we decided to leave. Because we didn't have radios, so we we figured, well, we better we better go find them. So we we started walking down the fire line, and here comes another crew. And we asked them if they'd seen our crew, and the guy says, "No, but you can't stay here. We're getting ready to backfire this area." Oh wow! It, then it clicked. You thought if we hadn't moved, they could have burned us up. No one knew we were still there. Wow! So now I'm just furious, and he's and the. the the other crew boss said, well, why don't you go back to fire camp? Maybe they're back there. And then he directed us which way to go. And we get to fire camp, and our crew is already there. Oh, wow. And I'm mad. Oh, I am <laughs> mad. <laughs> I bet. Uh, and I, so I went up to my supervisor, and I couldn't even get a word out. And he, he looked at me, and he said, don't you ever get separated from the crew again. And I was so humiliated and so angry and so tired, and I couldn't think of a word to say that I just didn't say anything. And I never said anything. No one ever brought it up again, but my partner and I could have died that night. Right. Very easily. We hadn't decided that we were waiting. There was no point in waiting any longer. Right. Such a close call. So many of those things happen and we never hear about them. Yeah. And and I've even talked to, I still know and still speak with some of the people that I worked with that some of them are still in the area. They don't remember that. Of course not. Yeah. Um, I mean, move on and other memories take over. Yeah. Yeah. Because... And and one of one of my friends, yeah, she continued to work for the Forest Service, and he he retired from the Forest Service, and he now works for a local fire department, and he he trains people now. But yeah, so he's got a gazillion memories to replace that one, and and, and he didn't he wasn't worried about his life, so it wasn't oh, right. Him. Yeah, it wasn't significant. <laughs> yeah. So those were some of the more adventurous ones. But when I worked in Alaska, I was introduced to a type of firefighting that I had no idea existed. They do it quite differently up there. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was rather enlightening. Um, and I fought more mosquitoes than fire. Um, <laughs> yeah, that takes a whole different level of tough. <laughs> oh, I, I hate mosquitoes. I was just I was like, no. <laughs> How long but, did you um, stay in Alaska? I was up there for a summer, for one summer. I, uh-huh. I went up the first week of May, and I left uh, late September. By then, it was snowing. Actually, it was snowing in May, and it was snowing when I left in September. <laughs> one, one season and was I've enough. I've never been so cold in my life. You know, it just it rained all the time, and it was dreary, and there was nothing was happening. We didn't have project work. I was just we were so bored. We just drove around the Kenai Peninsula every single day. Yeah, just driving around. In Even circles, though you're in a beautiful area, it just it wears out. Yeah, well, and that was the thing, you know, wildlife pictures like crazy. And, and everybody I worked with, except for one native Alaskan, everybody else was from someplace else that had come to Alaska and wanted to see Alaska. So on the weekends, 
we would get to, we'd go somewhere, anywhere. We'd go hiking, camping, backpacking, exploring. We got on the ferry and went to see a glacier, you know, and, and all of these things. And we did it in the rain because we kept waiting for the weather to get better, and it didn't. We said, <laughs> well, the heck with that. Let's just go. Oh, wow. And I so I've never been so cold in my life, though, coming from Tucson, as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, no, I really, bet. You are not acclimated. Oh, freezing. But it was, we had a lot of fun, and, I, and I've got very, very fond memories of the people that I met, though, than my boss, who, I told you, was once told me to cut my hair but he was a complete idiot and so I had there were some adventures with him where he would just he would do the, the most bizarre outrageous things and I thought how does he get away with that <laughs> <laughs> one how are you still alive and two how do you still have a job yeah you know it's just unbelievable but but that was and and we got helicopter training which I thought was pretty amazing and yeah. um and we so finally what's great did is there's things that you they, get to do. You get to do stuff that people pay to do. That's why it's so, that's why you put up with so much crap. Oh, yeah. I love to, I love to fly in helicopters. I always thought that was really cool. And the only reason I didn't ever apply for a house pet position is because they were so short. It was like six weeks. Yeah, and that just didn't. And I didn't want a six-week summer job. I wanted one that I was trying to get in as a permanent government employee, and you got to get your time in, and that just wasn't long enough. And and you may or may not get picked up by right. somebody else. So I'm just rolling it. So I didn't do that. Well, but I did get a lot of helicopter training up there, and and building line. I mean, when you're building line in tundra, which is essentially a big wet sponge. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You literally would just walk on it. To bring the water up. So crazy. So that worked as a, we called it a wet line because mm-hmm. we would just walk on it. That's crazy. <laughs> water would come to the surface. So that would, that was one thing we would do. And the other thing we would do is we would actually cut the tundra with a Pulaski and then roll it back like carpet and expose the permafrost. Right. I know it's a whole and different, that, different method up there. Yeah. And then we had to put, we had to put the tundra back after the fire was out. We had to <laughs> go put it back. Can you guys put the carpet back, please? I have rehab up there is kind of a whole different, <laughs> different beast. Yeah. No, it, was just, it was crazy. But so that was, that was sure different. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. I'm glad I did it when I did it. You know, because Well, it puts you know, memories was, in your mind and your heart and, that like so many people don't have, you know, even the really crappy trips, the really miserable ones, the ones where you are starting to question your entire existence and why you took this job. And those still are, they're still good memories and there's great slides to have in your mind to, to just learn and grow from. Having jobs like this, even if it's just to put you through college, it makes you yeah. a different person than so many are. It creates character that not many people have. Oh, I agree. I agree. And the camaraderie, you know, when you've got people, the naysayers and the, and the difficult people behind, the ones that want, the ones that were there that that you worked well with and then you had that and you felt like part of a team you don't get that anywhere else and you get to know people good or bad yeah. better than you ever get to know a co-worker in just about any other job and maybe the military you do because when you when you're with somebody 24 hours a day for yeah, weeks, sink or swim now is know, there anybody in your like we you know we talk about some of the difficult ones but who comes to mind when it's like but he was awesome he was great to work with who that, strikes your memory that would be my supervisor at florida I had more admiration for him because he knew I could do this. It was interesting because the first day that I met him, he checked my hand for calluses and he squeezed my arm to see for muscle strength and uh-huh. gave me the look like, oh, we'll see about this. <laughs> but it didn't take me long to prove to him that I could do it. And he would tell me, you know, you can do this. I know you can. I've always held him in the highest regard. He was he was probably 43. I was 20. I will never forget him. He died way too young. Died of a massive heart attack at the age of 57. Oh, that's too bad. It was but sad. What a and great he memory. Was, 
You know, and I think of him as being one of the, he was the epitome of the Forest Service. He was what I thought a real Forest Service employee was. He was a mule skinner. He was not afraid of hard work. He was a supervisor, but he would be out there with a Pulaski and a shovel working with us. If we had a fire in the Santa Ritas, he'd get the mules harnessed up and bring up food and supplies up the trail. He knew how to build a fence. He knew how to put a water line in. He taught me all of those things. And he taught me the most important thing about your job is to have pride in your work. To him, you know, the joke about the, with the Forest Service is always, there's never time to do it right, but there's always time to do it over. Right. <laughs> In his world, you took the time to do it right, period. Yeah. Period. And I learned, I got a work ethic from him that I think I always had a good work ethic because my parents were hard workers, but, but he drilled it home to me. You don't do things half-assed. You do it right, period. Never forgotten that. That's great. What a great mentor to have back in your past. Yeah. Now, on the back of your book, it reads, Battling fire is exhilarating, yet exhausting. The discrimination real and sometimes in her face. Summers of Fire is an adventure story that honestly recounts the seven years she ventures into the heart of fires that scorch the land, vibrant friendships that fire the soul, and deep love that ends in devastating heartbreak. While you cannot give me... Don't you dare give me these great pieces out of your book. I just wanted to point that out because I think that there's some really great stories in your book that people need to pick it up and read. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm so glad that you wrote it, that you have this out there because we don't get a lot of highlights of wildfire women. And I'm so glad that you took the time to do this. Well, thank you. And it's very different and a very personal story. When I started getting feedback on from people that read it. And I'll tell you what fascinated me. The reason my publisher told me they picked my book, you know, telling me, you know, we don't publish a lot of memoirs, but we picked yours because our goal is to get more books published written by women that men will read. And they Ooh, think that's and a they very forward that thinking would read that. thing. And, I like I, that. and I'll tell you, I would say easily 50% or more of my readers are men. That's great. That's, it is. That's what I'm it hoping is. is and the more exposure, the more stories we share, the more that people are exposed to it and it's the norm. Well, yeah. And the response is fascinating to me. I mean, every time I, someone contacts me and says, oh, I loved your book because of this, this, and this, even more interesting because women tell me, you know, I love that you were strong-willed and you would not let anybody get, stop you from doing what you wanted to do. Men would get that, but they would also say, I can't believe that you persevered through all of the challenges that you had. And they actually and, see that. Yeah. That's interesting. So, and I had a, a review in Forced History Today magazine. Amazon has that as an um, editorial review. So he says, although it might be easy to characterize the book as being for women because of its inspirational message about trying to make it in a man's world, men would greatly benefit from reading it too if only to learn that it takes more courage to fight for respect and dignity than it does to fight a wall of flames. Whoa, that is impressive. That's so cool that he wrote that. Yeah. That's, and that right there, you're like, and boom, that's my why. That's why I'm doing this. That's so cool. First, tell me where people can re- find your book, and we're going to include all that in the show notes. But then I have a couple of questions for you about becoming an author. So All Amazon, so it's, it's available around the world. It's available on Barnes & Noble's website. Good deal. Oh, tell us about your second book. Second book is a prequel. It's about everything that uh, led up to me working in, for the Forest Service. Oh, wow. That's great. Well, you're going to have to let us know when that comes out and we'll have to push that out for you. And, 
And so I wanted to ask you about for there's so many women out there I know that are thinking about and guys too wanting to write a book about their adventures. So what is the best way to get started? So you start pouring your heart out, capturing it all. And then what? Like, what are your top tips? That's what I suggest you do. Some people worry so much about structure and everything right at the beginning. You can't be creative that way. You just dump it out. And that's what I did. Because I ended up with 490 pages the first go through, and I had to cut it back to 250. So, so you know. It, <laughs> Everybody's it, you like, know, oh, no, my God, I could never get to 490. And it's like, uh, you'd be surprised. No, you know, oh, yeah. It was just, it was like once it started coming out. So, so and, and I actually had to teach myself how to do this. And then I had to teach myself how to edit. And of course, I had my friend helping me too. But I, it does help to take a memoir writing course if you can. Probably would save a lot of grief because you know it took me years and years to put this together. I mean, and I wanted it right. I mean, I was just bound to determine that I thought I, I would never self-publish. I wanted a traditional publisher. That is extremely difficult to do with a memoir. There yeah. are so many memoirs out there, so they're very, very. Picky. How many did you have to put in for before you got one that picked you up? About two hundred and fifty. Yeah, people don't realize like the rejection is very high. And so people might send something off, they get rejected and they think, oh, nobody's going to want it. But that's just part of the game. Yeah, it is. And, And actually, that was total. And I did query agents before the book wasn't up to par. I didn't know that till I started getting rejections. And if I got a rejection from an agent that actually said something other than no thank you, that actually comments, well, you know, the first chapter didn't grab me. Oh, okay. You know, right at it, whatever it took. After and And I would say I had about 200 rejections before I realized something is wrong here. I need to fix this. And it's the beginning. It's, you know, it's where to start the story. Where do you start the story? Right. And that goes back and forth and back and forth where I started the story. And so I just had a wake up call one day and I thought, you know what? Quit editing what you already have. I put that aside. I brought up a blank Microsoft Word document and rewrote the first three chapters without looking at the original manuscript. And it clicked. And all of a sudden, then I put the rest of the story back together again and wove it all back in. And I sent it out to, I think, about 25 agents and I think 10 small publishers. And I started getting people contact me. We want the whole manuscript. Oh, great. And the, the winter that I started getting re-offers from small publishers, and I had three agents reading it, wanting more time before making a decision. And I got two offers from publishers, and I thought, do I yes. want to play this game? What should I do? You know? And, right. And I decided to take the offer. That's so cool. Take the offer from one of the publishers. Well, and I like the reason that they took the book. And I think that's critical is like their actual reasoning behind it. That's pretty cool. Yes. You know, and, and, and they didn't tell me that till down the road. We were talking on the phone when I was getting, I was putting together marketing plan and everything. And that's the other thing is that you have to market your own book. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter if you get, even if you get picked by one of the big five publishers, you still have to market your own book. They're not going to set up speaking engagements for you unless, you, and, I, and I was bound to determine to do it myself because number one, I couldn't afford to hire a publicist, which is like a hundred bucks an hour. And I thought that's not happening. So I taught myself how to market my book. And I, and I think I've done really well. I had an excerpt published in Parade Magazine. I've been interviewed on TV and I had Arizona Illustrated, a PBS show, film a segment about me in, in September. Yeah, I'd say you've done a pretty good job. Yeah, I'm very proud of And my publisher loves me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, Linda, you, you work your butt off. <laughs> it's great. Oh, I did. It is such hard work. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Well, I'm so glad you did your, it. 
thank you. And I can't wait to hear the next, the prequel, the next one. I'm really excited about that too. And so we're going to have to make sure that we get that out to all of our listeners when that comes out as well. And I'm just, I'm so, you know, you were the generation ahead of me that paved the way for women now. And had you not done the things that you did and stomped your boots where you did and moved forward and didn't quit, we wouldn't have half of the things that we do now in Wildland Fire. So thank you for that. I've never thought it was a big deal. And it actually was my editor friend that like, this is a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. I just, you know, I just didn't think so. But thank you. I mean, I'd like to think it that it helped. You know, I really would like to think that. It's still helping. And I, you know, and it, I, it is. The I more people that the read struggles. it. Yeah. No, I think it, it, it's it interesting is. interesting to me that the struggles are still quite real, but. They're just a little bit different. You know, the struggles yep. are still there. They're just adapted. And so it's hard for me to think that too. And somebody will be like, every, even the women now, people tell us like, you guys are paving the way. And my thing is always speak up. Don't give up because there is a little girl out there that you are never, ever even going to meet or know who she is. And she is going to have it better because of what you're doing. And that's who we have to think of is the little girls that are way in our future. We're doing things for them. So it's it's pretty important. Yeah. Like I said, I had a book signing at Barnes & Noble in Tucson. And a family came in. So it was a dad and it looked like maybe his three daughters or two daughters and one of their friends. And they came straight up to my table. He said, yes, I knew you were going to be here today with a book signing, and I want to buy a book for each of the girls. And we're talking girls like 12 to 14. And he said, you, and he looked at them, he says, you need to read this because you need to understand what it was like for women 30, 40 years ago. And I want you to write a book report for school when you're done. (laughs) Wow. Way to go, Dad. I know. So I signed their, all their books and everything, and they talked to me for a little while, and then they wandered off to do their shopping in the store, too. And one of the girls came back, and she said, I just wanted to shake your hand and thank you. Oh, dang. And I was like, wow. Oh, you know, oh, Make me cry. Okay. And I was just amazing. Yeah, just those little impacts. So and there's a lot of those that are happening that you're never even getting to see, and how great that you got to see one. Yeah, it's. I've had a lot of really wonderful things come out of the book signings, even if only 10 people show up or less. I mean, just one, all it takes is one person to say, that is amazing what you did. Thank you. And I'm like, well, thanks. You know, I never thought of it, but thank you. <laughs> I yeah. I never saw myself that. It's all right. Take a little pat on the back. Well, Linda, yeah. it has been so good talking with you. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us before we go today? Well, I'm just going to say, if there's anybody out there that's thinking, you know, maybe I'd like this career, don't let the negative publicity and the the things that you hear stop you from doing this. If this is something that you want to do, do it. We need more women taking on these jobs and proving that we can. So I say still yourself up and just do it anyway. Yes, that is always my thing too. People think that, you know, even men will reach out to me and say, hey, my daughter is thinking about getting into this. What should I tell her? And I'm like, tell her hell yeah. You know, here's, here's some warnings. Here's what to look out for. And here's how to beat the hell out of it and move forward. So yeah, good. I'm glad that that's your message because that's very important. Just because we call things out and we're transparent, we're talking about history and things that have happened, doesn't mean we don't want girls to be there. It means we want a hundred times more girls to be there. Yeah, yeah. That's what's going to make a difference. Yeah. You know, because if we let if we let people stop us from doing what we want to do, if we let men stop us from doing what we want to do, then things will never move forward. You right. just got to not let anybody stop you doing. Yeah. If anybody tells you, do. hey, you can't do that, do like Linda said and said, but I am. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm doing it right now. I, yeah, that that was something that always floored me. What do you mean I can't? I am doing it. <laughs> right. Thanks a lot, buddy. So, 
Well, great, yeah. Linda. Thanks so much for taking oh. the time to do this, and I really appreciate it, and, and thank you Thanks, for your Debbie. support. I, you're welcome, and I'm pleased that we finally got to talk. I've been following you and what's going on, and so... Well, thanks. I'm, I'm all over the place with scattered with different messages, but they're all on, they're all for the good. <laughs> it's just hard when you yep, want to yep. do so many different things and so much good for so many, you know, different routes and rattle so many cages. And I just wish I could mm-hmm. make, you know, duplicates of myself all over the place so I could actually do everything I want to do. Yeah. Oh, just like well, I'm sure you wish you could write 10 books great. at once. <laughs> well, thank yeah, you. There you go. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. That is all we have for this episode. It has been an honor to spend this time with you. Now, if you know that there's anybody else out there who might appreciate this effort, please share it with them. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a review. Come see me at abbybolt.com and herbrotherhood.com, and we would really appreciate your support. And with that, have a wonderful day, and don't forget to lead with fire.